What's up? Machesney Park, listen, man, I'll tell you what, you don't even understand how excited I am to be here with y'all. My Machesney Park family, those who are here and those who are worshiping online, how do you lift this thing up? I should have lifted it up before I, there we go. I've been trying to get here for months and months and months, and I'm finally here with you. How y'all doing today? Hey, real quick question. How many of you, you cooking Sunday dinner tonight? You cooking Sunday dinner? I'm looking. Yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, invite myself to your house. Who's, who's, I'm, I'm totally joking. Uh, what's, what's your name again, dear? Right there? Yep. Renee, how you doing, Renee? What time's dinner? Totally joking, totally joking, totally joking. Hey, uh, I want to give honor to the very fine pastor of this campus, Pastor Corey Williams. Yep. Who is chilling this weekend, celebrating his 10th wedding anniversary, him and his lovely wife, Ashley. Hope you're watching. Love your core, you my guy. And, and everybody, uh, to the greatest pastor, lead pastor on the planet, Pastor Dave Clark. Yeah. Everybody, uh, last week, uh, Dave asked the Beloit campus a very penetrating question. He asked us a very penetrating question. He asked, what do you do when life presents a problem too hard to solve? What do you do? And last week, if you were at any of our campuses, uh, you heard us say that when life presents a problem that's too hard to solve and you don't have the answers to the questions that life is throwing at you, what you do is you ask God for wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5 says it like this. It says, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you for he is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask and he will not resent it. And I love what Corey shared last week. I thought he shared very, two very important um, takeaways of what wisdom looks like for us in this season. If you weren't here last week for my note takers, this is for you. Uh, the first thing that he shared that, that uh, wisdom looks like is, number one, unity without uniformity. Unity without uniformity. In other words, everybody, uh, we as the body of Christ are together in our walk and our commitment uh, to Jesus and his church. Now, we may not always agree. We may not, not always think alike, uh, but what we focus on is where we come together in the foundation of what unifies us, and that is basically everybody, we're all God's children. And if we're all God's children, then we're all committed to one family unit, and that our desire, everybody, uh, is to look like him to walk like him, to talk like him, to act like him, to be like him. Amen? And so, number one, unity without uniformity. But number two, wisdom in this culture looks like for us, everybody, it will show up in our Christ-likeness. It will show up in our Christ-likeness. In other words, everybody, it will show up in the way that we love and we treat other people as Jesus loves and treats us you know, with patience, kindness, patience, gentleness, patience, generosity, patience. Did I say patience? I don't know about y'all, but I got some people in my life, they're a little clueless right now. 
and they keep coming at me with the same stuff, with the same issue, with the same challenge, and I'm like, okay, for the 18th time, this is why we're supposed to respond the way we respond when culture acts like this or people say stuff like this. I don't know, do y'all got people hitting you up on your text and your DM? Like, and you like, if they text me one more time, I'm going to shoot myself, right? But no, God says we need to act like Christ, right? And so, everybody, as all of our campuses have been working through the book of James, I pray that this series has been a blessing to you guys as you've been diving in with us and understanding what it looks like to live a life of joy and wisdom at the same time. And so, guys, uh, as we're getting to know each other here at McChesney Park, this is my first time here. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I just want to ask you guys a couple of questions as we're getting to know each other. Uh, be, be honest with me. Raise your hand. We in church. Uh, how many of you guys here today you are, or watching online, wherever you are, wherever you may be all over the world, how many of you all know what it's like to be on the bottom? Like, you, you know what it's like to be looked over, left out, left behind. Last to be picked, last to be considered, last to be given an opportunity, last to find love, right? Least, least in your parents' eyes, least in your peers' affection. You know what it's like to be lost, lost in your own sorrow, your own self-pity, your own lack of self-esteem. Come on, how many of you know what it's like to be on the bottom? A few of you? Yeah, you know my, notice my hand went up first, right? Yeah. Now, now, quick question for you. How many of you guys, you know what it's like to be on top? Debt-free, bills paid. Business dry, uh, thriving, beautiful, healthy family. You know, you the person everybody looks to. You're the person everybody wants to be like. Why? Because you're good looking, talented, admired, skilled, and well known, just like Corey Williams. You know, you know, <laughs> and we could all be like Pastor Corey. I play a prayer about it every day, every day. He's gonna kill me when he sees this. Yeah. But everybody, um, for those of us who know what it's like to be low, and poor, and on the bottom. And then for those of us who know what it's like uh, to be high, and rich, and on top. Today, everybody, James has a very interesting thought for us to examine. He says to us in James chapter 1, verse 9, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to have it on the screens for you as well. James chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. Now, James, who himself had to come to grips with his own slice of humility because of how he felt about Jesus, everybody is uniquely suited to teach us about this today. You say, well, why do you say that, Pastor Ray? Well, what do we know about James? I got a few fun facts for my note takers I want to give you about uh, who James was. Now, we know, number one, James was the blood brother of Jesus. Okay, he was the blood brother of Jesus. Now, now technically he was his half brother because they had the same mama who was Mary, but their daddies were different. James' daddy was Joseph the Comforter, and uh, Jesus' daddy was God, the creator of the universe. And so can you imagine what that conversation was like when they was growing up? Oh, James, you, 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 got, you and Jesus got different daddies. James, what's your daddy name? Joseph. Uh, Jesus, what's your daddy name? Jehovah. Right? A little, little, little interesting, right? So, so that's number one. Number two, uh, James, everybody, of course, was the younger brother 
of Jesus because, of course, uh, when Mary had Jesus, she was a virgin uh, when she gave birth to Jesus. All you parents that have children, you can explain that to your children when you get home later. Okay, beautiful. All right, and then here's the last thing, everybody. Uh, James, everybody, his entire life, James' entire life had to deal with and live in the shadow of Jesus being the perfect sibling. For those of you who grew up in a family or a household with uh, siblings, you know, or my teens and preteens right now, you know, uh, think about what that must have been like for James growing up uh, with the perfect sibling as your older sibling, right? His name got called all the time for everything, right? Mary walking down the hall, James, look at this room. It is a pigsty. Why can't you be like your brother? James like, he's perfect? Right? Joseph walked down the hall, who broke my hammer? You know I need my tools. Wait a minute, it couldn't have been Jesus. He never does anything wrong. James! Right? He's that guy. Right? And I need you to understand, everybody, that there was some real animosity in James' heart toward Jesus because he never allowed himself to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And it wasn't until James saw Jesus crucified on the Friday and then raised again to life on the Sunday that it clicked for James and he recognized, oh my God, two things. Number one, Jesus is who he said he is. He is my God. He is my Savior and he is my Lord. And the second thing that he recognized was that James, as well as you and I today, have a spiritual condition that he needed and we needed Dr. Jesus to operate on. And that's why he says to us, everybody, in James chapter 1, verse 9, he says, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. Now, everybody, what is James saying in James chapter 1, verse 9, when he says, believers who are poor, somebody say poor, uh, has something to boast about. Is he saying, everybody, that uh, people ought to boast and brag about being poor and broke? Is that what he's saying? I can't pay my mortgage. Praise Jesus. Is that what he's saying? No, no. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying, everybody, uh, is... Uh, First of all, somebody say poor one more time. Say poor. That word poor, everybody, uh, is a Greek word. That word is the tapinos. That word is the tapinos. That word, everybody, literally means to be humble or to have a humbleness of mind. To be humble or to have a humbleness of mind. A very similar term Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, uh, when he's uh, using... Uh, this term when he's preaching the famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's not the exact same word in the Greek, but it's very similar in context and meaning. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In other words, everybody, this word poor literally is, 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 is means for us to have a constant attitude of gratitude and at the same time having an attitude of dependency, right? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you uh, uh, an example of who uh, really uh, illustrates this in, in Scripture. Uh, 
Corey talked about this last week, uh, Solomon. Solomon is famous in scripture for being the wisest man uh, in the world that ever lived, right? And he was the wisest man that ever lived because he was humbled enough to ask God for wisdom. He was like, hey, God, I need you to help me because who can lead this people other than you? And so I need you to give me wisdom to lead your people, right? Now, here's why that's so dynamic, everybody, because think about who Solomon was. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a second take on Solomon, right? right? I mean, you think about who Solomon was? I mean, Solomon was whose son? Anybody know? My church people. Who was Solomon's son? Who, who, was, who, was, who was Solomon's father? David, right? King David, probably one of the most famous people in the Bible. Now, what do we know about David? I mean, David was that dude, right? David was the giant slayer, killed Goliath with a rock and a slingshot, all right? David uh, was the guy uh, that killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands when he was a shepherd. David was the guy that the Bible says uh, is a man after God's own heart. David was that dude. They wrote songs about David. The Bible says that uh, he killed 10,000 men, right? And they wrote songs about him. He was that guy, everybody, that every man wanted to be and every woman wanted to be with, and Solomon was his son. And so Solomon, I mean, think about it. When he was born, he was born a prince. Wasn't poor by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, he was born uh, a prince. He was never missed a meal. Uh, he had servants and bodyguards. He had, was afforded the best education possible, right? And Solomon could have, if anybody, could have walked around smelling himself a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Prince Solomon. Better recognize, right? That dude could have been walking around like Simba. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Oh, I just can't wait. He could have been him, right? And isn't it interesting, right? Uh, when it was his time to rule, he could have had the attitude is, oh, yeah, I got this. You know, I grew up in this. I've been watching my daddy for years, right? I know what to do. I know how to do it. I've been trained uh, when to do it. I got it all figured out. I got this. Now, question for you guys. Uh, did Solomon do anything to be born uh, into royalty? Did he do anything? To, did he work for that? Right. Uh, uh, how much work, energy, effort did Solomon put into becoming Prince Solomon? Right? Why, are you, why am I asking that question? Uh, do y'all know people who try to take credit for what God has done and orchestrated in their lives? Y'all know some folk like that? I mean, they actually walk around thinking that they have something to do uh, with how God has blessed them, how God has positioned them, how God has gifted them. But Solomon was smart enough to recognize that, hey, God, you got to help me with this king thing and leading your people uh, because I know my lineage looks good to everybody on the outside. I know my resume looks impressive to everybody on the outside. I know my education and my experience makes me seem qualified on the outside. But I recognize is if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I'd be right now. Oh, I know where I'd be right now. I'd be toe up from the floor up, jacked up, messed up, and out of luck because everything I have, everything I am is because of you, God. And I refuse to take credit for it. Because see, everybody, believers who are poor have something to boast about. Because God has honored them. 
and, and I don't know about you guys today, uh, but when I'm my best as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a leader, is when I have a humbleness of mind, when I'm poor, and I got a humbleness of mind and heart that says, God, I need you to help me. I need you to help me to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I need you to help me to encourage my children uh, in the fear and admonition of you, God. I I need you to help me bless and encourage and inspire your people so that they desire to grow in you. Because everybody, believers who are poor have something to boast about because God has honored them. Believers who have a humbleness of mind and recognize their condition outside of Jesus Christ. Is this making sense, everybody? And so, uh, here's the second part of that verse. He says in verse 10, he says, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them, saying, uh, now, 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 let me read that again. He says, those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. Now, is, 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 is James saying here um, that the rich people should be like, all right, now look, all you rich people, Look here, uh, you all should get excited and brag that God has caused you to go out of business. Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. Let me help you give you some context. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, everybody says it like this. Paul frames this beautifully for us. He says in verse 11, he says, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Uh, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret, somebody say secret, the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, whether I have plenty or little, for I can do all things or everything through Christ who gives me strength. And everybody, what's the secret? What's the code that Paul cracked and James figured out that provides us the ability to live lives of contentment, whatever the situation may be around us. And everybody, the answer to recognizing that and living in contentment is realizing, everybody, that whatever we do, wherever we go, whatever situation we may find ourselves in, if I have Jesus with me, he is more than enough for me. And so whether a business is booming or it's bottoming out, whether my health is failing or flourishing before me, whether I can cover every bill I have or whether I'm living paycheck to paycheck, robbing Peter to pay Paul, whatever my lot, God has taught me to say that it is well, it is well with my soul. Because if I have Jesus with me, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, whether I'm on the top or whether I'm on the bottom, if I have Jesus with me, he is more than enough for me. And if you allow me to illustrate this with a couple of stories uh, in the book of Luke as we wrap up our time together, I want to share with you uh, two rich guys in the book of Luke that had two different approaches to filling the emptiness that they had in their heart. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. This is the parable Jesus calls it of the rich fool. And Jesus is speaking here in Luke chapter 16. It says, then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produces fine crops. Now, as I read verse 17, everybody, I want you to listen to the tone 
of this rich guy. Now listen to him and see if you pick up a theme. All right, here it is. Verse 17 says, and he said to himself, self, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, self, you're pretty awesome. You see it? You see it? See it? Yeah, yeah. You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, turn up, be merry. Right? But God said to him in verse 20, you fool, you big dummy. That's what he said. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Majestic, did you, did, you, did you hear a theme in the rich fool's language? What was his life revolved around and who was his life all about? His life was all about him, right? And isn't it amazing how some people know that they have a hole in their heart. And unfortunately for the rich fool, his answer to filling the emptiness in his heart was more, bigger, newer, nicer. And is Jesus against people having money and new things and nice things? No. But what his issue is, is in verse 21, you'll see it. He says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but, somebody say but, have no rich relationship with God. A person is a fool for storing up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. You understand, God is all about blessing. God is all about, uh, because last time I checked, he is a God of abundance, and he is a God of more than enough. But it is, he is not the God that wants to give us all this stuff for us to go and do our own thing. He is a God uh, that wants to equip us to be blessed so that we can be a blessing to him and to his kingdom. Somebody ought to say amen. And when we're rich toward him, he is free to continue to pour into us because he knows that we will pour out to others. Now, I want you to notice um, this other guy in Luke chapter 19. Now, in Luke chapter 12... We have a guy that was close to relationship with Jesus. He wanted to take all the credit for himself. He had a hole in his heart that he wanted to fill with more things. But I want you to take a look at this guy in Luke chapter 19 and check out his approach. The Bible says in uh, verse 1, Luke chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Say Zacchaeus. Now, the Bible says that he was a boss. And he was a baller. Y'all see that? Y'all see that? Y'all don't have a Chi-Town version of the Bible? Y'all don't have this? Let me read it in the regular version. It says, he was the chief tax collector, and he was what? Wealthy. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed the sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, everybody, in these uh, four verses, we learn everything we need to know about Zacchaeus. 
What we learn about Zacchaeus, some of my note takers, three things. Number one, we learned that he was a boss, okay? The Bible says not only was he a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. So he was the boss of all the tax collectors. Number two, he was a baller for my older people. That means he was very, very wealthy. I love y'all. I love y'all. Yeah, he was very, very wealthy. He was balling out of control, all right? But here's the third thing that you need to know. Even though he was a boss and he was a baller, everybody, the Bible says that he was barren. Say barren. That word barren literally means that he, had, he was empty. There was something missing. Now you say, Pastor Ray, how do you know that he was barren? Well, it says it right here in verse 3 and verse 4. Check it out. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So watch this, verse 4. So he ran. Somebody say he ran. Let me tell you something. Wealthy people don't run. When's the last time you seen Donald Trump running anywhere? They, they don't do that. They pay people to do that for them. All right? You understand? Wealthy people don't run. All right? And particularly wealthy Jewish people. They really didn't do that. All right? Here's the other thing you need to understand. He says, so he ran ahead and he climbed. Somebody say he climbed. A sycamore fig tree. Uh, wait a minute. If you're not running, you sure not climbing no trees. You understand? I mean, think about it. He wealthy. Armani sandals. You know what I'm saying? Louis Vuitton silk robe. You understand? Manicured, pedicured hands and feet, all that, right? And, and, and he going to tear his stuff up to run and get hot and sweaty and climb up this tree just to see Jesus. Everybody, what is that a picture of? We talked about it earlier. It starts with an H. What is it? Humility. Absolutely. Right? And Jesus, everybody, gets excited when we're humble enough to recognize that we got a need that money, cars, ladies, all this stuff will not fill. And Zacchaeus was like, man, I, I, I got to have some Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus get excited when we seek him that passionately. Because the last time I checked, the book says, if you seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart. And so Jesus sees Zach Zacchaeus in this tree, and he like, Zach, you at the tree farm in a tree? Come on down here and join us, bro. Salvation is about to come to your house, right? And everybody, I don't know what happened uh, when Jesus and Zacchaeus hung out in the house, but all I know is he must have received that feeling and that searching that he was looking for because he came out a brand new man. The Bible says in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Everybody, he had a transformation of mind and heart, which then changed his action. Are you seeing that? And so then Jesus says in verse 9, today, bruh, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And everybody, if I could just leave you with this thought process, James is encouraging us. What does it look like for us to not take credit 
for who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and is doing in our life. But to operate with this attitude of gratitude and dependency at all times. God, it doesn't matter whether I'm on the top or whether I'm on the bottom. What I recognize is it's all you, God. And as long as I got you, doggone it, I got everything I need. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this time in your word. God, help us to operate in that wisdom that your brother James is teaching us here in Scripture. Lord, help us to embrace your sacrifice and help us to understand that we needed you to live a perfect life while you were here. We needed you to die on the cross for our sin, but we also need you to lead us, guide us, give us wisdom, and help us understand that we need to have an attitude of dependency because we can only see so much. We only know so much. We can only do so much outside of your presence. Help us, Father God, to have that mindset of humility, whether I'm up, whether I'm down, whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, whether I'm on the top, whether I'm on the bottom. God, all I know is that we need you to work in us and through us uh, what you call for us to operate in so that we can be who you called us to be and we can give you glory in every single thing that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray and let every heart say, amen. God bless you.